Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. When you set out to become bewildered, you can find yourself doing odd things. Yeah, sometimes you feel this strange, almost physical pull to do certain things at certain times. Like us, for instance. Right now, we're feeling the pull to gather. Like, with you, if you want. And we want to do it somewhere wild. So we've dreamt up this unlikely notion of a culture cleanse retreat. We meet up in beautiful, lush, natural Costa Rica and spend six days stripping away the layers of culture that keep us from our truest purpose. Ro and I will be teaching you to drop everything in your mind in life that isn't your pure wild self. That's why we're calling the retreat Pure Wild Self. Mm. We're going to help you learn to hear the difference between the false voice of culture and the true voice of your nature. It is going to be so fun. And, you know, possibly life-changing. So all we want to ask you right now is this. Do you feel the pull? Just notice. Why are we doing this? No, no idea. idea. But we're doing it in January of 2025, and we hope you can come. Go to marthabeck.com slash retreat to learn more. Come play. Hi, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan. And this is another episode of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. Like us. Like us, exactly. For example. This so- is us basically just you know, trying to figure things out yeah, to each other. Trying, never actually. And you're just invited. Yeah, you're invited to come with us to try to figure things out. So, Rowie, what are you trying to figure out right now, seriously, in your real life? Seriously, in my real life. Um, well, as you know, Maria, there's always something with me. If it's not always one thing, something. it's another. If it's not one thing, it's another. So um, most recently what comes to mind is that I spent some time trying to figure out how to release cockroaches back into the wild when Mm. one lives high in the Uh, air uh. in an apartment on the 24th floor. And to do this without grievous personal injury. So You you do realise they can fly, right? They can fly? Hell yeah. Oh. They'll fly right at you. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. So I'm basically trying to learn how to be a New Yorker. Fair enough, but I just, (laughs) sorry. I'm sorry the facts are just brimming. Do you know that if an elephant drops up from a height of four feet, it will kill it because it's so heavy, but a mouse dropped from the top of the World Trade Center, the new one, would uh, not be harmed because it's so light that as it establishes maximum wind speed, it kind of and they kind of flatten out like little parachute divers and they hit the ground and they're so light it's just like and they just run away your cockroaches you couldn't throw them far enough down to kill them well that's fine i i didn't want him to die if i'd wanted I him did. to die yeah well i think this is what eventually i'm going to have to make peace with but so we live in an apartment some of the time mm-hmm. in new york mm-hmm. and i am learning about it yeah and 
they're cockroaches. That's a thing. Yeah. It's not like you have to be really, really filthy, dirty person before the cockroaches show up. I, I mean, have, we are, but yeah, I you mean, don't have to. It's not a requirement. But there's this moment that I feel like I've read about or seen in movies or something. I think I've just read about it. But, like, you've cleaned up, yeah. okay, the kitchen, yeah. and then you go back in for something and oh, you turn yeah. on the light and there's this exodus. Yep. Okay, that's really freaky. And so you're from Australia, dude. They have spiders the size of your head that scream at you in the night. Everything, I think it's like new ways that things move, right? In mm. Bangkok, when I lived in Thailand, it was about the um what do you call those little lizards? Monkeys. No. <laughs> <laughs> what are those little lizards called? Uh, Salamanders? Well, no, they're not lizards. They're amphibians. They are geckos. Geckos. Yeah, the ge- little geckos. And the yeah. way that they would move would alarm me, even though they're, oh, like, they're adorable. objectively and they, adorable. They sell insurance. Oh. You haven't seen those, huh? Yeah, uh, no, I actually have. I wish I hadn't. Oh. Um, but so one morning I come in and there's a fairly large guy, cockroach guy, yeah. might have been a girl, I don't know, I don't know how it identified, they identified. Non-binary, it's all fine. Um, and I, it was in the sink. Oh, God. And it, I think it was trapped in there. Mm. No, well, I thought so, not knowing it could No, it was fly. not trapped in there. It was eating. Oh, it was eating little micro, this is why I'm no, fanatical no. about scouring everything. I scoured. Yeah. I scoured. Okay, so listen, I went in there, I saw this cockroach. I was like, I I don't feel that I'm at a place where I can violently kill this insect, even though he's kind of freaking me out. So what happened is I thought, I know, just I'll bring my forest home self. Yes. To the city. So what we do in our forest home is that we get little creatures that find their way into our house. Yeah, and wolves we, and whatnot. Yeah, just the little little things that come in. And we get a jar and an envelope the way you do and the jar goes over and the envelope goes under. And then, It's hard to get a jar big enough for a wolf, but we do. We figure things out, Amazon.com, look it up. <laughs> so we... We do that. And so I thought, oh, well, that's all right. I mean, this is just like, a, this, this is an urban jungle. Okay. So I thought I'll just get him in a little paper towel. I'll take him over and I'll I'll shake out the paper towel and he can, whatever they do, just parachute with his little mouse body or something <laughs> off into the world. And I don't have to kill him, but he doesn't have to be in my space anymore. Yeah. But I think I was quite on edge, Marty, you know, as yeah, I was fake. doing this. Yeah, so I, like, I had him in the in the paper Ugh. towel and I'm going over to the window and our apartment is fairly old and, and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like Prehistoric. It, no, it's just like it's a little bit. Cave-like. It, it, <laughs> things don't work beautifully, you know. It's not like a, a fancy place. It's a place where things don't always work that well and you have to put a bit of elbow grease in and, Long story short, I tried <laughs> I tried to open the window with one hand <laughs> so that the cockroach could go out. And I like, as I did it, I severely put my back out. I put it into a massive spasm that lasted nearly a week. Was this it? the same moment when you actually broke the window? No. No, that happened later. Oh, I you didn't have got to keep you away from the windows there. It wasn't me. It was a cockroach. Do you know those little effers can live for like 10 days without their heads? They can run around breeding without their heads. I think we're losing all our listeners talking. Yeah. About this. Okay. Okay. So um, what so what happened? 
Did he re- did he release into the wild? Is Siri talking to you right now? Is she trying to save she says, you? Here's some information <laughs> and sent me something called What Happened is a 2017 memoir of Hillary Clinton by Hillary Clinton. <laughs> so, yeah. And, I, and Siri. Siri is on Do Not Freaking Disturb Me. She she doesn't think it's a disturbance. My electronics are absolutely in league against me. And the cockroaches are in on it. Nah. Yeah, I just watched a show with a robotic cockroach. They took, they literally, they took off, they cut off his little antennae and put fake ones in. And then they put a little harness on him and it was electric and you could have a remote control thing and he would <laughs> turn. watching, Marty? I have got to look out for you. It's kind of, this it's sounds like the, a dream. No, like. it's called the White Rabbit Project. Oh, my God. It's about electronics. Oh, I dear. loved it. Oh, dear. Oh, but dear. Yeah. Okay, Let's anyway. move on. Honey. Your cockroaches can, they will be. Famously, they will be alive. He was fine. I was pretty badly injured. Yeah, you were badly injured. I had to lie flat, tongue ping. Tongue ping? Tongue ping for some time. Yeah. Like days, days, days. I was like, and the cockroach was fine. So I think, you know, all the points you're making is they'll be fine. Worry less about them. And I think that's been borne out. They'll be fine. Worry about them, but not in a way that supports them. That's fair. Like there's a line that almost everyone draws, like super poisonous snakes, cockroaches. You just get them out by whatever means necessary. How do I kill a cockroach? Seriously. You can't. You actually have to um, like deport it to some other country. I was in the right. I was in the right neighborhood of of Uh, solutions. I I, I was on a a TV um, news show in Kentucky once after my first book came out and I was trying so hard to sell it and I was so nervous on TV and I go on this TV station in Kentucky and I'm talking about the year my son was born where he was diagnosed with Down syndrome and the whole thing and I was in a fire and I said I felt like a cockroach that God was trying to kill with a brick (laughs) because I have tried to kill them by smacking them with bricks and I'm a gentle soul I love my animals but I will I will freaking pound a cockroach you can't kill them. They just go, ho, ho, embracing Swedish massage. <laughs> and uh, the Kentucky TV guy, instead of talking about my book, for 10 minutes, all I could talk about was cockroaches. Yeah, they get like under my now. fridge. And you try, you get them with spray. They don't care. They laugh in your face. You'd stomp on them. They lift you off. You know. And I was like, I, I wrote a book. I kept trying to steer it back. And he was like, Just like me right now. I got off and my agent was there and she just said, Kentucky. But I don't feel that way about Kentucky. That was her thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Sorry. So, variation um, there, but you can't kill them is my point. I, I see that now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Marty, for God's sake, tell me what you're trying to figure out right now and don't make it cockroach related. Weirdly, this is just going to send all our insectophobes running because we did not discuss this but i literally Mm -hmm. had chosen something very similar even though what i told you was i'm trying to figure out how to overcome my shame because i just um i went and read one of my books for audiobook yeah and all my other books i've read some of them sometimes they get out loud she means read it out loud she didn't just go and and read (laughs) i went out into the yard and read my book aloud to the wolves um so I'm reading, I wrote one book that was an allegory. I, I don't call it a novel. It's not well-structured enough to be a novel, it's, but it's a fictional book. And it's sort of magical. And I had to go read it aloud. Now, I've read nonfiction books 
for audiobook before. And I'm not very good at it because I have a voice, as you all know, that sounds like someone trying to clean a toilet with a, a live raven. This is my description of my own voice. And people are always saying, oh, Martha, I know how much you care about me because it's so clear you're trying not to weep because of your <laughs> shaky little, <laughs> your shaky little crone voice. Oh, honey. So I'm, I'm already nervous, right? But I've read other books. I can do this. And I talked to Rose's dad in Australia, who is, we're just sending so much love to him right now. And um, he is a professional reader of books. He has this gorgeous. I think they say narrator. Narrator? I, I don't know how to pronounce this in American. Narrator. It's a, he's a narrator. Nerder. Professional reader of books nerder. sounds like everyone's dream he's job. But he reads them out loud and they record it. So I said to Sean over Zoom, what do I do? I have this book is different. It has characters. It has dialogue. And he said, well, you have to go through and cast all your characters, like ch choose a person to be the heroine, choose another person to be the, the villain. And I was like, okay. So I went. Through. So he means like Hollywood actors, yeah, like yeah. picture Brad Pitt in this role or yeah, whatever, so, so that you can like, keep the voice consistent. Yeah. And I was, I was like one of them. I remember I made him into uh, James T. Kirk from the Starship Enterprise, like the old <laughs> Star Trek because he would talk in a very intense way. And it was just like cool. stuck in my head. So then I thought, great, I've cast all the characters. I know what I'm doing. But I did not reread my entire book before doing this. I thought, I remember it, I freaking wrote it. Oh, I did not remember it. Because as it goes through, I just cast the human characters and one pig. And one pig, sure. But there are a lot of freaking characters in this book i and i'd forgotten most of them so i was like oh my god i have to like now i have to talk like a goat at one point i had to talk like a goat and i was like <laughs> and it was humiliating and then i got to one oh god the shame i've just had to make peace with it rose gonna listen to it and i'm gonna have to go back and record the whole thing in this weird studio that literally was a nasa training ground and has pictures of space all over it <laughs> i mean this little locked room with pictures of space i just expect hal to start attacking me any moment 2001 a space odyssey go look it up so i'm in there in this booth and one of the characters it describes the voice as being tiny and high-pitched because the character is a tick uh, a tick named Blood Blotch. And, and when you were writing this and and writing down a description of the voice, you weren't imagining yourself reading God, the audiobook. No. Mm. And if I had looked at it, I would have found a character be, to be that tiny high-pitched voice. It's at the end of the book, I was already really hoarse because I don't have a trained voice. And everywhere I go, people come up and say, I do vocal training, you need me. And I'm like, I have had you and I don't. I never get better. So hang on, I'm just trying to think who would we cast as the tick? Who has what what was it? A high pitched Lila, our daughter. <laughs> a high pitched what? Squeaky voice? Very high pitched and shrill and shrieky. I'm thinking there's someone I can think of, but I, I I'm struggling to place her. Maybe Amy Sedaris, does she have that She could do voice? it. She yeah. could do it. David Sedaris could do it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> we love him. He does kind of have a high squeaky voice, though. Yeah. So anyway, I'm reading aloud in this, like, space tech environment. So intimidating. And there's a director listening to me, and there's a sound guy listening to me, but in other rooms. And I'm reading the description. The tick came out, and he 
stood up on his back legs and he started to speak in this high pitched, tiny voice that you could barely hear. And I, I'm, I'm reading this aloud and going, holy shit. Yeah. It's like a train coming at me. I'm going to have to do this voice. <laughs> so he started to talk like this. Oh, no. Sort of like this. And because I was talking like this for some reason, I went into baby talk. <laughs> And the tick is connected to the villain, who is a huge male, whose voice is like, Rah! oh, sorry. Oh, my sound guy is going to be so mad at me now, Scott. Don't be mad at me. So I'm talking out like this, and I'm like, okay, the director will tell me if it's horrible. And I sort of wait for the sound guy or the director to go, no, nobody says anything. I'm like, all right. I go home and I talk to the director on the phone. I'm like, I'm really nervous about that tick voice. And they go, yeah, that was a judgment call I had to make. And I was just like, oh, tell me. like it is bad, Ro. And you're going to hear it. And we're going to have to rent that damn NASA astronaut training center again for me to go back and do something with that voice and other than me just killing myself. So that's what I'm trying to figure out. I think really the only problem we've got here is that you failed to cast the tick. i got to go watch some Amy Sedaris. Yeah. As soon as we finish recording, I'm going to remember whose voice I'm really trying to think of. We'll be right back with more Bewildered. I have a favour to ask. You might not know this, but ratings and reviews are like gold in the podcasting universe. They get podcasts in front of more faces, more eyes, more ears, all the bits that you could have a podcast in front of. That's what they do. So it would help us enormously if you would consider going over to your favorite podcasting app, especially if it's Apple, and giving us a few stars, maybe even five, maybe even six. If you can find a way to hack the system, I wouldn't complain. And um, a review would be also be wonderful. We read them all and love them. So thank you very much in advance. Let's just go out there and bewilder the world. Mwah. Change, eh? Mm, it sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. Oh! By coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called The Change Cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right, you can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. But do you know what? We have been blathering on an awful oh, yeah. lot for people who supposedly have a podcast about a topic. Oh, a topic. <laughs> do you want to just like slowly segue our way over yes, to that? Yes, I do. And actually, you came up with the topic for this episode and it was because you had this wonderful light bulb moment. I and, did. Yeah. Like so many of, you know, the light bulb moments that we have in our lives, Marty, this took place while I was scrolling numbly with through Instagram on my phone. As is required of every citizen. That's right. That's right. Um, 
Oh, I haven't talked about the fact that I've become American. I turned mm-hmm. American since last time, but American. we'll keep. We'll okay. save that. We'll save yeah, okay. that. Okay. So, um, social media scroll, and I came across this post by someone called Nicola Jane Hobbs, and this post has gone bananas viral because she's she's kind of doing what we're trying to do on this podcast, mm-hmm. but maybe like better and more eloquently and more briefly, yeah, much more briefly. Endless stories about horrible insects. <laughs> she could have put a few in just to be kind to us, but she didn't. No, not Nicola Jane stayed on topic. <laughs> <laughs> so no, we love her. We love her. So um, I'm just going to read a few of them because they're basically um, her trying to help us reframe um, a lot of culture that's in our heads. And so the one of them in particular really blew my mind and that's what we're going to be talking about today. But the um, there's a few, like I want to give you the feel for it. So um, the first one that struck me was she says, instead of saying I'm falling behind in life, I've started saying societal norms keep hijacking me today. And that's what we talk about, Marty, yes, isn't it? Absolutely. We think it's a problem with us and not a problem with our programming. But Nicola's saying check the programming. Thank you, Nicola. Yeah, thank you, Nicola. And so then another one is instead of saying I'm being so lazy, I've started saying my body is tired today. And that one almost made me cry because Mm. I just think I'm being so lazy is something I say to myself all the time. You do. And my body is tired sometimes. So but here is the one, okay, that absolutely blew my mind. Okay. And this is what she says. Instead of saying I've had a really unproductive day, mm-hmm. I've started saying my internalised capitalism is intense today. Now, <gasps> we often end up talking about capitalism well, on we- this podcast and I, but for some reason I had never quite made this this sort of neural connection that um, that this, that this that it's part of the capitalist ideology or thinking that we that sort of thing of trying to jam as many things into our days as possible and I realized that I 100% still measure my day and how successful even that is a problematic word but how successful my day has been via my productivity how much did I get done today yeah is if it's not much bad day Hmm. if it's a lot good day why that if you actually just step back from it and look yeah, at it, yeah. how much did I get done? How many things yeah. did I tick off? That's a random way to measure your day. Right? Right? And and I'm always going to the whole life, but it's like, are you really going to get back to the end of your life and look at all these ticked off things of list of things to do and go, I got a lot done. And that's that. So my life was worthy. Like, but why? every day is a life. That's is true. a lifetime. You know what I mean? Like if That's you're a cockroach. True. Oh, no, if you're not. No. <laughs> no, you're absolutely true. And we've talked about this idea before. You're absolutely right. I mean, we've talked about this idea before, but never quite in this way of everything goes to this productivity mindset. It, I, I think it might even be biologically in the brain, like a kind of hoarding um, mentality oh, that can yeah. be triggered. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's not in every culture, but ours just blows it into everything it's almost like a shape the mind takes when it looks at the day yeah yeah it's this it's you're right hoarding maximizing i keep thinking of this like all the all the productivity stuff yeah is all about maximizing in one way or another yeah yeah right? 
get the most, the most, the most. Yeah. And that doesn't like, why is that? Why is the most always the best? It's a capitalist value set that is just in the air we breathe. It's in every interaction. It's all over. How much did you do? How much did you get? How many did you? And I even apply it like this morning, I got up and I'm like, oh, I have half an hour to meditate. That's not enough. (laughs) You know, if I don't get an hour, I'm just like, I'm being really lazy. And so I was capital, I was making capitalist and productivity based my time of silence and stillness and communion with the, with the universe. Yeah. It's so interesting when we start trying to um, evaluate mm-hmm. the worth of time, right? What is my time mm. worth? And- the worth of time. I just want to put a pin in that one. Cause that is That's the question. What is the worth of time in your life, in your day? Yeah. And in your day, not in a whole lifetime. Like I think it's really, it's what blew my mind was this using day as the unit here. Mm. It's just like, and I realized that as I started looking at what are the things that I use as a measure of my, you know, was it a good day? Was it a bad day? And how even the things that are genuinely trying to be not like that are trying to be quality, not quantity. Right. I'm quantifying them in my head. So we were talking about uh, we're obsessed with Dr. Becky Kennedy, mm-hmm. um, parenting guru, and she talks about I, f- I don't know how she calls it, but like parent like playtime with no phone, yeah, no phone, P T N P I think playtime, playtime no with no phone, right? Something like that. Um, that's uncomfortably close to something in a Stephen King book sell oh um that makes me maybe they're scared. in league maybe they are they're in cahoots i bet they are dr becky and stephen king okay go on so so that's like i can i'm trying to subvert being capitalistic about productivity and yet am i doing enough no phone play yeah no, no whatever play <laughs> whatever it is um and and so even this thing that is meant to be like it's pretty self-explanatory. Like you're actually g- giving your kid your attention. Yeah. It's this gift you can give them of of undivided attention. This rare um, yeah. commodity. Yeah, commodity in our times. Uh-huh. And am I doing that enough? That that almost anything meditation. Yeah. Am I doing it enough? Enough. 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 And so many people have deep in their hearts the question or the belief, I am either not enough or I am too much. It's all about counting and, you know, packing in the right things and making sure the wrong things are gone. And it's continuous in every field and everything we think about. Yeah. So the culture basically says, the culture is set up that we will ask ourselves how much is enough, right? And, yeah. and then the culture's answer is more. Yeah, because you're maximizing, you're trying to jam as much into the jar of the day as possible. There's never enough. And I think it's it's an imagination based fear response. It's the belief in future scarcity that makes you think you have to hoard in the present. Mm -hmm. And I think that once the fear is triggered, nothing is enough. It's like more, 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 because you can't anticipate exactly the future. And so that, and you can never cope with it until it arrives. Mm. So you're just like, but anything could happen. Anything could happen. I need more, 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 more. And uh, this was so funny because we were were talking about this and like getting a run sheet ready. And in between we were getting texts from 
my editor and a marketing person that works with us about knowing exactly how many books I've sold and exactly like how the percentage that goes to the publisher and the net and the gross and everything. And we'd go like, yeah, it's so weird and capitalist. How many books do I sell? Come on, come on. <laughs> oh, let's, let's count it every day. Yeah. It's so, it's so weirdly dopamine inducing. I know. And so hypocritical. I was exhausted from my own hypocrisy. I was also exhausted from my and own And then hypocrisy. I was like, but you know, really the reason I write is to try to help people. And that is honestly the case. I really, really write to try to help people. And then I'm like, but how many people did I help? Yeah. So Marty was immediately like, well, if it's wrong to like not wrong, but you know what we're saying. If we're 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 questioning this thing of how much did I get done, Marty's like, well, let's go over to how many, how much did I help? And I was like, mm-hmm. no, I don't think so because that's still asking the how much question, and yeah. that I feel like that's the capitalism is the how much, and that yeah. that is ultimately like a spiritual bypass. Yeah. And it doesn't work. I mean, there's a really poignant scene at the end of Schindler's List where this guy's saved all these Mm -hmm. Jews and he's looking at them and he's saved like 2,000 people. And at the end, they're sort of honoring him and he's just completely depressed. And he just was thinking, I could have done more. I could have done more. He never, ever gets Mm -hmm. to, he sees the horror of the war and he tries to address it. But because he's in this never enough mode there's no joy in it for him there's not even relief or uh, an ability to take in the love that he's being offered for what he did do Mm. he's just like no not enough not enough not enough and i mean (laughs) we we were talking about how our beloved carrie coo karen um does puzzles Mm. And she'll get oh, a hard so jigsaw funny. puzzle. At the beginning of the pandemic, I started buying puzzles for Karen and they make her so happy. <laughs> Without them, she starts to pull out her own feathers. Yeah. Um, and sometimes she'll say, Marty, I'm not getting this done fast enough. I'm going to need your help. <laughs> and we're like, I'm like, okay, I'll help you with the hard part. And I can tell when one of these conversations is going on, even if I can't hear the words, because there's like this deeply pragmatic tone of voice that you both adopt, like serious (laughs) and pragmatic, like, got it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can do that. I can do that for you. I'll come help. I'll come help. And then like Karen literally finishes it, counts the number of pieces that are missing so she can add to her own bitterness (laughs) and puts it back in the damn box like it literally is put together for 10 seconds she doesn't take a photo she doesn't like relish the moment she doesn't look back and go look down at it and go yeah i did that she's just like all right three pieces missing and immediately immediately it's gone yeah but she's really like i'm not getting much done on this (laughs) (laughs) i haven't gone fast enough it's, it, it's just bizarre. Like I, she never, she never stops and says, "How much do I really need to do to be a good person?" Yeah, vis-a-vis this puzzle. And yet, that is completely consistent with the cultural <clears throat> messages that we sort of swim around in, mm-hmm. right? Is um, you know, there's like, you know, all our apps. We were thinking about our apps and how you know we have. Um, our what you know we have apple watches sorry not not paid to mention them in fact we're we're dissing them because they're really go. annoying and they tell you to stand up all the time and sometimes i don't <laughs> want to stand up because i'm being really lazy no because my body is tired and i don't want to stand up sometimes yeah. that's not the right thing to do so stop freaking coming in to my wrist and buzzing and telling me that i'm not standing up enough you don't 
know me. Not at all. Not at all. And Marty had a, like, we, we both, this is so lame. We are so lame, Marty. We both play solitaire on our Constantly. phone, like, total squares. Oh, my God. But you realise something about the solitaire game. Yeah. <laughs> it's telling me that I did really well on some of them. Like, number one, all-time personal best. And I'm like, it's, this, it's the same thing every time. Like, is it my complexity of this the hand or whatever? And then I realised it was how fast I win. And so I started getting a serious stress on because I'm like, I'm playing solitaire. No, I cannot help the baby. I'm no, throw the cockroach out the window yourself. I am playing solitaire and going for personal best. Sorry, yeah. Scott, about Marty's volume sorry. levels in that last yes, little bit. Sorry, Scott. If I was too much. <laughs> too much. Um, but yeah, we did not ask for watches that would tell us to stand up every no. 20 minutes. They just put that in there, assuming we'd be thrilled with it. Yeah. And I've talked before on the podcast about um, the meditation app that I used to have where they tried to gamify the meditation thing and you could have friends on the app. And if you meditated more than they did, you went like ahead on the board game map that they'd done. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And it it gets into your writing. How many words did I write? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So I think, and I have said this before, and, you know, like this is one of the themes that comes up is that, you know, and it comes up around money, which we haven't even talked about, but like that because I don't think I'd realise that capitalism was everything where we want to count stuff. Oh, I love that. I think when we can't count something, we can't measure it. We we're confused by that. Yeah. How do you evaluate what you can't count? And yet nature doesn't measure. It it's doesn't. It's not about their counting. Yeah. It is not counting. It's like um, like if you went out to the trees and said, you know, how much sunlight have you gathered? Yeah. They would, like they're not thinking about that. They're present. That we know of. That we know of. Yeah, we might. They're not talking about it. They're not us. talking about it to us. But I will say that um, our dog, Claire, and dogs kind of don't count as all of nature because we've bred them to be so much like us. Um, but they say if you think your dog can't count, give them, put three treats in your pocket and then give them two. Yeah. And she, well, the problem is she really can't count. But Claire she, is a special case. So I give her three little treats every morning. And if I don't do the three... She gets very, very confused. But on the other hand, she thinks every time I come into the room, it all starts again and she gets three more. But so she's kind of counting. But yeah, I mean, when you're out, when the the pandas are out in the forests in China, they're not saying, ah, not enough bamboo over there. I need to plow another 40 acres, get myself some bamboo. <laughs> you were, it's so sweet when you reach for a metaphor to watch like just how your brain works and I can just see those little pandas frolicking about in your uh-huh. mind like and you're just describing them <laughs> it's so nice I know they were there before you even thought of them you just reached they just in, came in. Yeah. and what I I was wondering about squirrels because squirrels are very acquisitive yeah they, they are freaking get things. Also acorn woodpeckers. When we lived in California Mm. in fall time, every crevice in every tree and every fence would be absolutely stuffed with acorns because acorn woodpeckers stuff them in as well. That what they do is they get uh, worms in them and then the woodpeckers eat the worms, which is technically cooking if you think about it. So there's that. But here's the thing. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Here's the thing, Ro. Uh Squirrels 
are very acquisitive, but they forget and lose 80% of the acorns they gather. It's awkward, isn't it? Someone should tell them. So what they have is more of a sport going on. It's like, I don't know, polo of the universe. They go out and they're just like joy. They just enjoy putting acorns places. I, think they they, I don't think they know they lose 80% of them. No, they don't. But I think they're just like, yeah, acorns. What are you going to do today, Al? I'm going to go put acorns in stuff. Okay, well, how many do you have? What do you mean? I can't count. I just love putting acorns in my stuff. Let's go out and plant some trees, bud. <laughs> Marty. <laughs> yes. Am I right in saying, because our regular listeners will know that, that You've been reading a lot of brain science mm. in preparation for writing your next book. And mm-hmm. um, so it seems to me that the, the, the wanting to count things mm. and wanting to accrue and everything is quite a left hemisphere, yes. you know, sort of tendency, right? Yeah. So what I'm wondering is does the culture... Like, does our culture, our individual, like the Western, you know, how we don't like to, Hmm. you know what, you guys know what I mean, you people. Um, Is it that our culture happens to reinforce those left brain tendencies? Is like, or is there a natural urging in that direction? You know what I mean? Like if it's nature culture and nature is natural, then Hmm. why do we, do our brains tend toward culture in this desire to count things yeah it does and i think it's because we're designed to work with the whole brain so that's the healthy thing when you've got the ability to count but also experience the qualitative feeling of something without counting Mm -hmm. but the interesting thing is that we're always slightly steered toward the left side of the brain because that's where the fear center Mm. happens and if you're afraid of anything um it, it make it rings a very loud bell and so it pulls you over into that way of thinking and you start evaluating from a very left hemisphere dominated place. Uh-huh. And that time, numbers, even words are mainly processed in the left hemisphere. And there's this, I've talked about this before, but I just can't stop thinking about it. It's amazing. Once you've gone into the left hemisphere of your brain and kind of shut yourself off from the right hemisphere, The left hemisphere of the brain does not believe that anything else exists beyond its own observations. So I've talked about how people with um, right hemisphere strokes don't believe that their left and right arms and legs or that their left arms and legs belong to them because they're perceived with the right side of the brain. So somebody who's lost that right side will say, yeah, my right hand and my right leg are mine. These other two, I don't know. I don't know where they came from. I wish somebody would take them away. Mm. So you get into that fearful zone and suddenly there's nothing but fear. Mm. And so, and the qualitative experiences of the right side of the brain are kind of cut off or greatly limited. And we just, and, and so then we start hoarding and counting and being miserable and we go blind to the qualitative values of things like presence, joy, love in Sanskrit, they call it Satchitananda. And the word Satch, Sanskrit is related to European languages. And Satch is basically what the Satch means. And it means the thus, the joy of thusness, the joy mm. of suchness. Look, mm. this is how it is. Such, not how many, but such. And there's bliss in that. And um, yeah, so, so there's nature has a different way, I think, of, of valuing the day. 
So I have this like image in my head of, you know, when we go into that left hemisphere mode, Mm. it's like we get caught in a little eddy of fear is all that exists Mm -hmm. and therefore our only goal can be to make ourselves feel safe. Yeah. Yeah. Once you're stuck in a fear place, it absolutely dominates everything else and makes everything else seem insignificant. So what does nature teach us about this issue, Ro? We've talked about what the culture has been doing. What about nature? I will tell you, Marty, in just a minute. I've always been weird. (laughs) When I write and speak professionally, I have to tone it down, especially the part where I believe the universe loves us and is on our side. A few years ago, I decided to just show up online and say what I really think. This became The Gathering Pod, a series of discussions about how to thrive in a difficult world. So if you need hope, inspiration, or a chance to listen to someone much weirder than you could ever be, come join me on The Gathering Pod. Change, eh? Mm, It sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. Oh, by coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called the change cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right. You can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. So, Marty, when we're trying to come to our senses Mm -hmm. around this thing of productivity and capitalism and jamming in the things... I feel like what we're actually wanting to do is like search for a reframe, a different Mm. way of thinking about this um, where you don't have to measure or count anything, right? Mm. Because as long as you're counting, you're in that left side and you're in the culture and you're in um, capitalism. Yeah. And so because I think we can always keep sliding sideways and find something else to measure, but I feel like that's where we need to do the reframe is actually at that yeah moment go out of that and you don't want to get to the point where you can't talk or count at all but you want the dominant way of going through life to be based in your sensory experience that's how every animal except humans does it and i love that we say you know come to consensus versus come to your senses because one of the things i do when i am working with someone who's highly anxious is this exercise called sense drenching i make that up it's beautiful and it's just Okay, imagine, so they, they come in, they're super anxious about their kid wanting to go to West Point or something. Um, and I say, all right, so what are your three favorite tastes? And they're like, what? And I'm like, what do you want to taste? And they're like, strawberries, uh, champagne, and, um, you know, my dog. <laughs> Not in an eating sense, more in a licking sense. One of my One of my older children once came to me and said, I figured out that our dog licks us to say that he loves us. And that's why I've started licking him. So, uh, and, and of course we stopped that, but it came to mind. Anyway, my point is if you say to your sense of taste, how much strawberry 
It, it makes no mm. sense. Like you can get intense versus not intense, sort of. But it's more like, you know, if you say to your nose, how much pine smell? Mm. How much? Like It's meaningless. How many pines did you smell today? Yes. I went through the forest and I smelled the pine trees and it was amazing. Well, how many trees did you smell? Exactly. <laughs> so true. Um, it's a, it's a non-quantitative yes. noun. Yeah, so we need to, we don't need to, but I guess like what you and I at least can challenge ourselves to do to try and change this mentality is to like look for ways to find worth Mm -hmm. in the uncountable Mm -hmm. stuff, Mm -hmm. right, the things that can't be counted. So it sort of points us towards a more aesthetic kind of sensibility and it strikes me that um, as I was thinking about this, I realized it reminded me of those forms. So you know how um, you you have forms that you fill out, like surveys or whatever, mm-hmm. and it'll say how many, how many between one and five, you know, right, and that's right, the right. other way. Quantitative, quantitative, and then but then there's also just those lovely forms where it's just like, um, did you go there today? Y slash N circle the one that applies, and yes the or yes no. or no, like. What if that's the thing? So as soon as you're saying how much, you're asking the wrong question. You know, I think there's, I think as long as we're trying to keep ourselves safe, we'll keep asking how much because yeah. it's he who dies with the most toys wins. Mm-hmm. It's we think we're cheating death by counting things. <gasps> right? That is so true. We think we're cheating death by counting things. That is so true. It, oh, my gosh. And And... That for some reason that doesn't feel completely fucked up in our brains, but it should. We don't notice. It's like, how fast am I completing the puzzle? Who cares? But it's almost like that becomes a substitute for meaning because meaning has no quantitative manifestation. It just is, right? That's right. So yes, we are trying to say that quantity brings us joy and peace. Like if I get 10 puzzles done a week, I'm going to have a happier life. I'm going to have a more meaningful life than if I only get five done a week. Which, and, and the corollary of that is if I have $10,000 in the bank, I'll have a more meaningful life. Like right. that's that's the, right. the, yeah. And if I have a bowl of soup, it'll make me happy. And if I have 10 bowls of soup, it will make me 10 times happier. It breaks down yeah. when you start to look at qualitative experiences because they just are. And the quality of your experience is what, determines whether your life was rich or impoverished in a very subjective and wonderful way. Yeah. 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 It's like yes or no is the only, it's kind it's beautiful, the simplicity. It's a one or a zero. It's binary code. Yeah. (laughs) It's, and, and within that framework, you don't need any number higher than one. Whoa, wait, say that again. Did it exist or didn't it exist? We don't need any number higher than one. Wow. Is... Be- and the the reason that's such a a reframe is that it's the numbers that are making us feel safe, and that's so right. we force ourselves to stop making safety this perception of safety our yes. number one priority, and we move over to our right hemispheres. It's so interesting because I mean I have so many clients who say, yes, I like I want I had one client who said I need to have at least three children. I said why. She said, well, because if you only have two and one dies, there's only one left. (laughs) I was like, all right. (laughs) 
Oh my god, that's so good. <laughs> that was so weird. It's just like that the qualitative aspects of life, death, having children, whatever, it all boiled down to how many can I count and what, yeah. you know, in in the circumstance I imagine, which is one child dies, not that they both die in the same car accident. That will never happen. I need to have three so that when one dies, because that's what I'm imagining, I'll at least have one left, or two left, two or left. however many it goes, because yeah. having just one left would be not tolerable. Uh-huh. All right. All right. Okay. So productivity is the measure of the existential question. Am I doing enough yeah, what am what? I doing with my one wild and precious life? The right, Mary the Oliver Mary one. Oliver quote. Just yeah. what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? And she also said something that I love. She said, let, let me keep my mind on what matters, which is my work, which is mostly standing still and learning to be astonished. Count that. Mary Oliver got it, gets it. She gets yeah. it. You know, she you know, she knows that the answer, what am I doing with my one wild and precious life? The answer to that question is yes or no. (laughs) Am I standing still and learning to to be astonished? astonished? I don't want to die um, without having lived. So yeah. Sorry, I just need to say something. Yes, please. If I'm standing still and learning to be astonished, my little watch is going you have not closed your move ring today. I you have know. not closed your exercise ring that today. little mofo. I say, hello, you have closed, you closed your ring two days ago. Why have you stopped? Rude. rude. I mean, it, it really is very, very rude. And it's measuring freaking everything. It measures how fast I'm reading on my Kindle app. It measures how many steps I've taken in a day. And it talks to me about them like I should care. I really feel, Marty, like this is a huge one, like to be able to break out of this mental prison and, you know, I mean, we have have one of our first episodes we ever did of this podcast was about me and my productivity addiction, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, which I go through periodically and get cured (laughs) of periodically. Um, But, well, I mean, recovery. Yeah, we sent her to rehab. She stops caring as much. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this is but to really... To me, there is such an internal revolution in the idea that I could sit down at the end of my day and say, was there peace, yes or no? Mm. You know, and I, I can control that. Yes or no. And I, yes or no, was there peace is kind of like the opposite kind of question to how much peace was there. Yes. You, know, you can't ask how much peace was there or it's like how many pine trees did you smell? It's right. like what? It's like a koan. It's like, yeah. huh? And was there beauty? Like if you yeah. ask that yes or no, you're not counting how many beautiful new pieces of furniture you have. You're saying was there beauty? And the mind immediately, by the way, switches has to switch to using more of the right hemisphere because it's saying what 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 sensory kinesthetic experience did you have? And all of, all of a sudden was their beauty becomes, oh, I saw a spider web this morning outside and there were dew drops on it. And right. You don't have to be visiting the Louvre every exactly, day. To, to... Exactly. Was there beauty? Yes. Yeah. Because it's, was there a sense of beauty? Mm. You know, did I inhabit Coming beauty? To your yes senses. or no? And you can go through the most exquisitely beautiful life and never see it. Yeah. You know, and yeah. if you don't see it, I don't care how much you have. Your life is not rich. Mm. Mm. Was there a sense of abundance? 
yes or no and that doesn't mean how much money is in your bank account it means did you feel a sense of fullness in you know we were talking about your bookshelves you know do you feel an abundance of books are there are there four books still to read on your nightstand what an abundance abundance we we worked with this um this lovely lawyer to help Ro get her green card and her citizenship. And he's so <laughs> wonderful. And he, I think he comes from Lebanon. Yeah. And he's just jumping out of his skin with appreciation of everything. And he actually, when he was like 14, went to get, try to get a visa to America. And they stamped it with a big red stamp that said denied. And he <laughs> didn't know what it said. So he had big red stamp. That's great. And he started just thanking them. This is wonderful. I have everything. He's 14. His whole family's dead. I have everything anyone could want. And He'd be un- unintentionally shamed the person. And the, and the guy said, come back here. And they approved his visa. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that. I don't want to minimize people's suffering, but this man was in a situation where I would have been like, <laughs> and he was so full of his sense of the joy of his life that he couldn't be resisted. Yeah, yeah, he created that <laughs> abundance. Real, and, and abundance is like that. It comes from the rejoicing and mm, experience. Absolutely. And yeah. by, by the same token, was there was there play? Why? Was there play? And not no phone playtime. No, no, yeah. not how much. How many? I went on, um, what's the German airline? Lufthansa? Lufthansa. I was on it with when my older kids were young and they got this most beautiful German made toy set as they got on the plane. It was amazing. And then we went up in the air and they turned off the fasten seatbelt sign and the uh, flight attendant came on and she said, the children will now take out their slates. <laughs> and I was like, have you done the slate work? Have you done the doll work? Have you done? I, yeah, it's like that. It's a very productivity um, centered mindset. And there's no play. There wasn't as much play to it. Yeah. 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 The so, other one we were thinking about, because we were talking about exercise and how, you know, you've had a better day when you go to the gym mm-hmm. um, at the moment because you sleep better at night right yeah and so and I was like but I have had this thing lately where I've just been absolutely exhausted and so it was like did I exercise is not the right question and so we decided that the yes no question is was I kind to my body today yeah and I even like to say was I kind to my animal yeah I love that because I love animals and because if I'm thinking about my body it has all these cultural associations and valuations come into it is Mm. it enough here is it not enough there if I say, was I kind to the animal? It's like, oh yeah. Did I check to see if my horse was dehydrated or if it needed to lie down, if it needed to go out and run. Mm. And when I do that, I know when to rest and when to exercise. And it's been a long road, but it really works. Yeah. 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 And then for me, um, you know, the Buddha used to say, whatever enlightenment looks like, it always tastes of freedom. That he used taste because how much taste, how much taste? Mm. I don't know. So I think, was there freedom? Was there freedom today? And that means freedom of heart and mind. And the weird thing is we can be in, we can have so much privilege and mm. feel like like we're being trapped by this productivity model. Mm. There's no freedom of heart and mind in how many things did I get done? And so the, the most important quality for me, well, peace and freedom are kind of the, on the same valuative place for me. And if we've been in this mindset, there was no freedom. 
So I'm going to, um, in coming days, I'm really going to try and start applying this yes, no sort of thing to my days. At the end of my day when I lie down, I want to say, was there a sense of freedom? Was there a sense of abundance? Was I kind to my body today? Was there kindness? Yes or no. Yes or no. Yes, no, yes, no. And if the only question is yes or no, then the answer yes always constitutes enough. Yes, absolutely. So then let's invite the folks to in, to like join us in this playtime, in this thing we're thinking of, and stay, stay wild. We hope you're enjoying Bewildered. If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word WILD to 570-873-0144. We're also on Instagram. Our handle is Bewildered Podcast. You can follow us to get updates, hear funny snippets and outtakes, and chat with other fans of the show. Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. And remember, if you're having fun, please rate and review and stay wild. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think and the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to marthabeck.com and you'll find your way.